Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. The text we'll be looking at, if you remember where we left off, we left off, we went through 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 through 14. And so now we are 1 John 2, verse 15. Let me read it. We're going to go through verse 17, and then we will look at it this morning together. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15, this is what the Word of God says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let me just pray over our text now. God, would you be with us as we consider those words Speak through me that we might all consider them and be transformed by them. Help us to love you and not the world, to find abiding life in you by doing the will of God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, let's rewind to November. When we last were looking at 1 John, we were 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 14. And what we saw in there, if you remember the sermon title, was a call to love. A call to love. Because verses 7 through 14 are all about loving the things of God. Loving His people. Loving His church. Let me just read a few verses there to jog your memory. Verses 9 through 10. This was back in November. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother, though, abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Okay, so the last sermon we did in 1 John was a call to love and to love the things of God. Today, the sermon title is a call to not love because we should not love the things of this world And we have to stop by, what does John mean by the world? Think about that with me. What does John mean when he says in verse 15, do not love the world or the things in it? Because we know in John 3.16, God loves the world that he gave his only son. And so John's got to be, between his gospel there and his epistle now, using this term the world differently. Some places John talks about the world, such as John 3.16, as God's good creation and the people that populate the world. And when he's talking about the world in that way, hear me, God loves the world. He loves it that he would send his son to die for it. And yet, he uses the world, John uses this term, the world, other ways, such as our present passage, Verse 16, he even defines it, makes it easy for us. In verse 16, he says, 
for all that is in the world. He says, do not love the world, verse 15. For all that is in the world, this is what he means by the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride of life, that's not from God. So here he obviously doesn't mean the people that make populate the world. He doesn't mean God's good creation. He means evil. He, may, he means sin. He means detestable things. And in that way, with that definition, God hates the world. God hates that. He hates those things. And so putting those two together, a call to love and a call to not love, we can see that in 1 John chapter 2, passionately loving one thing goes hand in hand with passionately hating the opposite. You know, when you marry a person, you marry their family. When, uh, when I married Sarah, I got to know uh, her family's love for sports, particularly her brother's love for, let me get this right, I wrote it down so I don't mess it up, the University of Michigan. I said, so Michigan State, she goes, oh, how dare you? I was like, I don't even know what I just said. But her brother is passionate about the University of Michigan, not Michigan State. He loves them. And so if, if you sit with him and watching a football game, just be ready. You should probably be wearing pads yourself because he gets so intense. I mean, just recently, not long ago, Judah's upstairs napping. And I don't know how many times I had to ask John, please, if he wakes up, he's yours, right? Because John is just jumping off of the couch, screaming, I think maybe jumping on the couch at some of the points. And so he loves the University of Michigan football. And what goes hand in hand with such love is a utter hate for Ohio State. <laughs> I've learned that. I know that. Never use those two words in a Quattlebaum household. Now, granted, John is a little overreactive about his football, I think. It's only a sport, right? It's just a game. And I, I would even say his actions should be a little less volatile, a little less intense. But still, with those mentioned, still I think maybe there's a decent picture of biblical theology in that. That if you love something, you're bound to hate the opposite. John's theology here, in John chapter 2, what biblical theology is, is that when you love something, you will hate the opposite because love and hate are inseparable concepts. They're two peas in a pod, love and hate are. They're, they're a destined pair, if you will. When you love something, you will naturally hate what threatens it and opposes it. If you love your wife... You will hate when she gets threatened or attacked. Because of your deep love for her, you will hate that. If you love your children, you will hate the thought of losing them. Here, if you love God, you must naturally hate the things of the world. The things that dishonor God. I think it's clearly spelled out in James chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Love and hate 
are a destined pair. When you love something, you naturally will hate what opposes it. And I would even go one step further and say the higher your love goes, the deeper your hate will run. I'd maybe use the analogy of a teeter-totter for the kids, right? When one side goes up, naturally, the other side will correspondingly go down. When your hate goes up, when your love goes up, your hate goes down. And the higher your love goes, the deeper your hate will run. Or a scale is the same kind of analogy. And it's true with God. If you have high affections for Jesus, then you will have a deep hate for the world. And the higher your affections go for God, the deeper your hate for the world will run. I mean, isn't that the thought behind the lyrics to the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. This is why Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher of his time, famously said, when he was talking about being a preacher, it is my duty to raise the affections of my hearers as high as I possibly can. And he knew when that happens, your hate for the things against God will deepen. Can I be honest with you? I think the biggest reason that we see such an embrace of sin and godlessness in the church, not just talking about in the world, but in the church, is not because we are so bombarded with temptations or because we don't have enough tools to fight against these temptations. No, the biggest reason that we see such ungodliness in the church is due to a lack of genuinely deep affections for Jesus. Reading His Word is optional. Gathering with His people is optional. Talking with God cuts into our busy schedules. Talking as a family about God feels over the top, unnecessary. Playing sports seems to be more engaging. Video games seem to be more exciting. Watching Netflix seems to be more comforting. A a romantic relationship seems to be more fulfilling. So many people love the things of this world because so many of us do not love the things of God. But when we grow in our affections for Jesus, it is a sure thing, as sure as gravity itself, that our love for the things of this world will fall. So what does John say about that in this passage? He's already said love the things of God, right? Verses 7-14. through 14. Love His people, love His church, love Him. But now he says a call to not love correspondingly. So let's work through this text. The first verse, verse 15, he has a simple call. It's black and white, very clear. Do not love the world or the things in the world. You know, and I might jar some of your theology in this, 
It's an absolute myth that Christian, Christians should never hate. It's a myth. It's a myth. It's not true. It is biblical to be a Christian who hates. Let me read some scripture for you just to ponder on with what I just said. Because it's true. Proverbs 28.16 gives a promise to those who hate. He who hates the unjust gain will protect his days. Did you, did you hear that? It's not a promise for those who just don't participate in unjust gain, but it's a promise for those who hate unjust gain. Ecclesiastes 3.8 says, There is a time to love, and there is a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. God even says in Isaiah 61, verse 8, I, the Lord, love justice and I hate robbery and wrongdoing. God hates. And so he tells us to also hate. In Amos 5, 15, hate what is evil, the Lord says, and love what is good. Establish justice in the city gates. And so, it's a myth that Christians should never hate, ever, anything. It's not true. And now take that and apply it to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Now, you've got to hear this. There is no doubt that Christians must be profoundly loving. Right? For Jesus himself says that they will know you by your love, right? And Jesus even tells us to love our enemies, the people that you are hurt by the most. Jesus says love. The person that you are opposed with the most, Jesus says love. And so we should be profoundly loving, of all people, right? Different skin color, we love them. Democrats, we love them. Republicans, we love them. Doesn't matter about your political affiliation, we love you. Homosexuals, we love you. You should love. The transgender, the Muslim, Maybe the jerk of a boss that you have. You should love them. The criminal. No matter the crime. The abortionist. And the list goes on and on. We should be profoundly loving and they will know us for our love. Hear that. When you also hear me say, because Christians are so highly affectionate and loving, we should also be people who so deeply hate. Romans 12:9 says, "Let love be genuine and abhor what is evil." How could you abhor what is evil? Well, because you love so deeply what is genuine and hold fast to what is good. And so we are to hate anything which dishonors, disgraces, and degrades God. 
So now let's apply that a little bit to what I just said. While we love all people, all people, we also hate the things that people say. When somebody blasphemes or uses the Lord's name in vain, I love that person. I hate such blasphemy. We love people, but we hate the things that people believe in. To love the homosexual, but to hate the belief of so-called same-sex marriage because it defies God's good and original plan for human flourishing. So for their sake and for God's sake, we hate such things. We love people, but we are grieved by and hate the things that they do. To love and comfort and support any woman that has made the decision to abort a baby. To love her unconditionally, but to hate such an action. I've already said one myth, so another myth is that affirming someone is necessary for loving them. Hear me, affirming someone is not necessary. Affirming what they say, affirming what they believe, affirming what they do is not necessary to loving them. Don't believe that lie. So we have to balance this very carefully. We have to apply this very carefully. So I hope you're listening right now keenly. On the one hand, If your hate for sin leads to hating a person, hear me, you're committing just as evil an act as the sin they're committing which makes you hate them. If if your hate for sin leads you to hate the person, you're in sin. And yet, on the other hand, if your love for a person leads you to affirming their sin, you're an accomplice to it. It's not easy to live out this balance. I know that. When it comes to your kids and trying to love them while not encourage the sin, I know that's hard. I know that's a difficult balance. To be a supporting spouse while also not endorsing the sin that your spouse has just confessed to you, that's not easy. To love them and to do what 1 John 2.15 says, and hate the things of the world, which in verse 16 is defined as sin, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. These things we are to not love at all. It's very clear. It is certain that our strong affections for God requires us to have strong a disdain for what opposes God. And in fact, if you felt like I was being strong, John goes one step further. And he doesn't only call us to that difficult task, but in the rest of verse 15, he would even go so far as to say that loving the world and the things in it actually exposes that such a person doesn't even truly love God if you do love the things of the world. It exposes that you don't love God. He says, do not love the world or the things in it, i.e. hate them. And then he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
Now, let me encourage you. This is not saying that if you are tempted by the things of the world that you aren't saved. That's not what this is saying. This is not addressing temptation. It's not saying that you can never feel temptation. We all do. But you can ask any addict or recovering addict, you can certainly hate the things that you're tempted by. You can. You can be so drawn to it, so tempted by it, and yet still hate it for what it's done to your life. And that's the kind of thing John's talking about. He says, hate it. I know you might still be tempted by it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying hate the things that oppose God and draw you or somebody else away from Him. So the scales tip the other way. Not only do high affections for God indicate deep hate for the world, but high affections for the things of the world or just affections for the world in general indicates you don't love God. The scales tip both ways. And maybe you've said before, and observing somebody else's life. I, I can't say if they're a Christian. That's between them and God. Maybe that's been on your lips before. Maybe you've said that. I don't want to make a judgment call. That's between them and God. Well, surely, we can't know the depths of a person's heart. You can't know their private life. And yet still, we can and we should observe and make judgment calls about the fruit that we do see in people's lives. Do they love the things of this world? Or do they love God? That, that is true and not only true, a biblical mandate. I mean, how else can we identify and then reject the wolf in sheep's clothing that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7? How can you identify the wolf that's going to eat the sheep and he's wearing sheep's clothing? How can you identify that and reject him and say, I want nothing to do with that? How can you do that unless you observe and make judgment calls about another person's fruit? We're called to do so. This is actually the function of church membership. That the church would collectively affirm a person's relationship with God by observation, to the best of our knowledge of the fruit that they demonstrate and the profession they make. That, that is the function of church membership. It's not a directory. Right? It's not a phone book. No, it's a collective affirmation of that person seems to be walking with Jesus and they're a part of our family. So when you bring in a person we are seeing the evidence of a regenerated heart. And we want to affirm them relationally. They affirm the gospel. That's base level. They love the word of God. They love the church, his bride. And when you look at Galatians 5.22, they are demonstrating all of those fruits of the Spirit that Sarah mentioned earlier. Patience and kindness. They're gentle. They're faithful and joyful. And so we bring in and yet we also exclude. When we see ongoing evidence of rejecting God 
and loving the world in place of him. When they might hear the command of God and willfully choose the opposite, it's disingenuous to say, oh, absolutely, I can't know, you're probably a Christian. I mean, what, what, would, what would that do to the rich young ruler if Jesus did that to him? He says, if you're going to follow me, here's what you need to do. The man says, I can't do that. And says, well, Jesus says, well, I, I don't know. You might be good. That's disingenuous. He loves the things of the world more than he loves Jesus. It's clear cut. Peter makes this judgment call about Simon the magician, if you remember that, in Acts chapter 8. Peter does what we should do in such a circumstance. You have to be very careful. Acts 8, Simon the magician indicates clearly fruits of disobedience from the word of God. And and this is what Peter says. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. So he's calling him to be a part. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven. If you go back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he says, do not love the things of this world. If you do, you don't have the love of God in you. How can John be so black and white? Don't kill the messenger, right? How can John be so black and white in this? How can he be so exclusive about loving God and then therefore what that looks like is hating anything that opposes God? Why is John so exclusive? Well, we find that there is no, not even an ounce of overlap or relationship or middle ground There's no Venn diagram going on between God and the things of this world. They're wholly separate. To love one, there's no overlap to love the other. The things of this world and the things of God are wholly separate. We see in verse 16, if we go back to it, that the origins of such things, that's evil, the the lust of the world, For all that is in the world is not from the Father, but is from the world. So hear me. The origins, the origins of evil are not from God. God's original creation did not include such things. In fact, when Adam and Eve loved sin more than God, You know what happened. They had to leave. So, hear me, please. If you're drawn to a sin, fill in the blank, whatever it is, you know. No matter how right it feels, it's not God's plan for you whether it be a cheating relationship, no matter how right that person feels for you, it's not God's plan for you because it's not in God's original creation. 
no matter how right homosexuality feels to you. It's not a part of God's good original creation. No matter how right self-harm might feel to you, it's not God's good plan for you. It's not a part of the garden in Eden. Verse 16 says, for all of these things is not from God. And not only are the origins of such things not from God, but the end of such things will not be with God. Verse 17, the world is passing away along with its desires. God will abide forever, but the things of this world will pass away. So not only are the origins of such things not with God, but the end of such things will not be with God. God's final creation will not include these things. In fact, no one who loves those things more than loving God will enter with them. So let me just ask you a question to think about. If such things didn't start with God and won't end with God, why would the people of God give it the time of day in the middle? John gives two very clear commands in chapter 2. We can't deny either. We can't pick favorites or cherry pick. He says early on to love. So let's really emphasize that, right? Be gracious. Be kind to people. Be fair to people. Be patient with people. Be gentle. Be respectful. Love people. Flip side of the coin, John says, don't love. Don't affirm sin. Don't compromise. Don't minimize. Don't embrace. Don't adopt. Don't be desensitized. Don't be indifferent to. He says, don't love. We have to embrace that as well. Let us, as God's people, live out Psalm 91, 10 to the best of our abilities. You who love the Lord hate evil. Hate evil. We all know that such a person who does that, who lives out that verse, will, quote-unquote, lose out, right? On pleasures of this world, They'll lose out on things that they might be tempted by. They'll have to struggle and deprive self of cravings. No doubt, but such a person will have a far better lot. For they will have eternal life to look forward to. Abundant life. And that's the last part of verse 17, isn't it? If we go back to it. The world is passing away, but whoever loves God or does the will of God abide forever. If you never made that decision to love God more than the thing that rules your life, if you never made the decision to love Jesus, to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd love to talk with you. I'd lo- I know other prayer workers would love to talk with you. Pastor Trent would love to talk to you. Loving Jesus instead 
is worth it. Let me pray for us. God, you've not called us to an easy life, but you have called us to a rewarding life. It comes with hurdles, temptations. It comes with self-denial. But oh, how it's abundant. So God, as we sing this last song, would you prepare our hearts for the week and the year ahead? Help us to love you more. To love things less. Knowing that they're not from you and those things will not be with you in eternity. God, for the one in this room who is ensnared by the things of this world today, God, I just pray that you would consume them with an overwhelming love for you, a greater love for you. And that that love would extinguish any bit of love for this world. Though we are going to be tempted, may we not be like the rich young ruler. Help us to love you. We thank you for all these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.